Good morning, Praise Center. Happy New Year, everybody. Hopefully, I'll get to see you sometime soon. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Carolyn Kize, and I look forward to connecting with you in the near future. Thank you, Pastor Agus and Auntie Lily, for inviting me to preach the word this morning. Well, we are continuing with the book of um, with the study in the book of John. Today's passage is from John 13, from verse 19 to 30. John 13 opens up the second half of the Gospel of John. The first 12 chapters center around Jesus' public ministry with signs and wonders. The second half from chapter 13 focuses on Jesus' private ministry. As we've been going through the book of John, we have learned um, from the different preachers about the gospel um, of John's purpose in chapter 20, verse 30, which says that, um, that now that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may um, have life in his name. The purpose is that you may believe. There are moments and seasons in life that have the potential to challenge or shake our faith. COVID-19 did that for many people. People's faith was shaken. But for others, they put their trust and their faith in God even though they didn't know how long the season was going to last for, even though they didn't know how much COVID-19 would take away from them. In the same way, in this passage, in John 13, what was about to happen was going to rock the disciples' world. It was going to shake the disciples' confidence Therefore, it was crucial for Jesus to tell them what was about to happen before it even happened so that they would remember and believe that he is the Christ. Let's pick up from um, John 13, verse 19 to 20. And it says this, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Now, by revealing what was about to happen, Jesus was preparing the disciples and removing the possibility of any doubt that he is the son of God. He is the Messiah, that he is the Christ that they had come to know and journeyed with. This was crucial for their faith. The first point that I would like to um, pick up from this passage of, of um, scripture is that the disciples receive assurance from Jesus. Number one is that is assurance from Jesus. Pay attention to what the Lord says to you through scripture, perhaps through a prophetic word, or even through a vision, 
but pay attention because often it comes with the assurance so that you can be confident that the Lord is in it. The disciples were about to witness something that was going to be devastating. Their leader was about to be captured and killed. Their dreams were about to be shattered. They didn't expect for Jesus to be killed. They expected Jesus to be a powerful ruler. They didn't expect that one of them would betray him, that they would betray Jesus and give him up to the enemy. Now, this is not the outcome that they had signed up for. This is not what they had they expected. They had witnessed Jesus performing miracle after miracle after miracle. In, in just chapter 11, they had witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Why would they expect that Jesus was about to be humiliated and ultimately killed through the most degrading manner? Crucifixion was reserved for non-Roman citizens and the shame of the cross would last beyond death in the mind of the citizens. The disciples were about to go through a traumatic experience. Therefore, it was so important for Jesus to tell them what was about to happen in order for them to remember this information and believe during their dark hour. In the same way, the Lord gives us assurance. In May of 2008, I sat in my doctor's office and he gave me the news that they had discovered a tumor in my pituitary gland from the MRI results. The good news was that it was benign. The bad news was that it was, go it was growing, causing pressure in my brain and my hormones were completely out of whack. I remember sitting, I remember feeling scared and confused because a year before that, my eldest brother had passed on from lung cancer. The question I had was, why? Why was this happening to me? And why so soon after my brother's death? There were so many thoughts going through my head. Now, to cut a long story short, I remember that months before that, uh, before I was diagnosed, I had been meditating on Psalm 23 for months. I had no idea why I couldn't move on from that passage of scripture. I remember, especially, particularly verse 4 that says that though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. I remember feeling peace and knowing that the Lord was going to be with me. However, the tumor continued to grow and the neurologist eventually made a decision that they were going, I, was, I needed surgery for them to remove the tumor. They needed to open my head. I was wrecked. My faith was tested and I was confused. I consulted with many pastors 
and family members and friends just looking for answers. And one evening, I was awake at 2 a.m. I couldn't sleep. And, and that actually had become a pattern for me. The Lord spoke to me so clearly that I was going to be healed and not need surgery. Well, that was just the beginning. The tumor still grew and my hormones were still out of whack. But I was now confident that it was only a matter of time before I would get my breakthrough. My friends and family felt that I was in denial about my situation and I don't blame them. However, what they didn't realize is that I had confidence from the Lord and it came through scripture. After nine months of treatments, I finally received my healing and didn't need surgery. Jesus had given me assurance even before I was healed. I needed it because the journey was so tough. I would have given up or given in at some point. But the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. I had assurance from the Lord. Now, how much more um, Jesus preparing the disciples for what was about to happen and what he was going to accomplish on the cross. However, the journey to the cross was incredibly painful to witness for the disciples. It was not just Jesus's body that was going to be shattered. It was also the disciples' dreams and what they thought their future was going to be. That too was going to be shattered. Oh, but Jesus gives them this assurance that he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is God. And their dreams were smaller compared to what they were about to accomplish from his victory on the cross. Therefore, the statement from Jesus was important. And once he established that, he then gives them the commission. Truly, truly is commission language. Truly, truly is what he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me, receives um, the ones that I send, receive me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. Jesus here is assuring the disciples that the commission stands and whoever receives them receives Jesus. It was not over and it's still not over. Jesus wants to reassure some of you this morning. He has called you and he has prepared you for the journey ahead. The second point that I want to pick out from this passage of scripture is that Jesus anticipated the traitor. Verse 21 to 24 says that after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of who um, he spoke. One of the disciples um, whom Jesus loved was reclining at a table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter mentioned to him, to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. 
Jesus was troubled in spirit, not because he was taken by surprise that Judas would betray him. That's not the reason why. You see, Jesus was troubled by the weight of the cross and the taking on of sin onto his body. Jesus knew no sin. He was tempted, but he was without sin. And now he was about to be filled with sin as an exchange on the cross. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. How do we know this? If you look back at um, verse 18, Jesus um, was saying that I know the ones that I have chosen. Jesus knew exactly who he had chosen. Judas had a choice to either allow greed to lead him or turn away from his ways and be led by humility. But he chose greed and clearly couldn't live with the consequences of his choice and hence killed himself. Jesus was not troubled because he had not, he had just found out about Judas, as I've mentioned. It was the task, the assignment that was bigger than the betrayal by Judas. You see, our purpose, our assignment, our calling is bigger than um, the betrayals that we are going to experience in life. As painful as it can be sometimes to be betrayed, especially by those really close to us, we need to be really careful that we do not spend too much time focusing on the betrayals rather than focusing on the assignment. The Lord has an assignment for each of us. We were created on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. Jesus demonstrates well that our focus should be on the mission of what we're here for. Another character is Joseph in the Old Testament who did the same thing. His focus was not on his brothers um, who betrayed him when he arrived in Egypt. He focused on the mission which was to represent God in all that he did. And he was excellent in everything that he did. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. People who were close and intimate um, to him, they betrayed him by trying to kill him. In the same way, take note that John and Judas were sitting on either side of Jesus. See, people um, at the Passover, at Passover meals reclined on the couches as a sign of freedom. Free people reclined to eat, whereas slaves would stand or sit. In this setting, John and Judas are sitting close to Jesus that they could even whisper to him and, he could, and they could hear what he whispers to them. It is side by side one of the greatest pictures of friendship betrayal. As N.T. Wright noted, that the medieval paintings of the Last Supper, they get it wrong. They tend to show Judas as a very obvious traitor 
with his clothes, with his face, his money bag, his body language, all telling us that he is the one who betrayed Jesus. But the 11 others around the table actually didn't know. Judas was simply one of them. Jesus had washed his feet too. But Jesus knew that he would betray him. He knew this. And my final point is that Jesus addressed the traitor. Peter wanted to know who the traitor was. And so he asked John to ask Jesus because, well, John was sitting next to Jesus. In verse 26 to 28, Jesus answered, It is he who I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, um, when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of um, Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And then Jesus said to him, what are you, what you what are you going to what you are going to do do quickly no one at the table knew why he said this it was custom that meals were eaten um with um flat bread and a muzzle is a broken piece um or a piece of bread um and so jesus breaks the bread dips it and gives it to G- to judas as a sign now I've already mentioned this, that um, John and Judas were sitting um, on either side of Jesus. This was a place of honor. To serve someone, um, muzzle from the table, was not unusual. Um, It was a sign of special friendship. Therefore, the disciples could have taken this as an act, um, um, honoring gesture from Jesus to Judas. Notice how Jesus' last act to Judas was honoring even though he was unveiling a truth that the disciples will later discover. Jesus' last act was a gesture of respect. Sadly, Judas's last act toward Jesus was that of betrayal. The moment Satan entered Judas, Jesus released him to go and carry out the betrayal. Verse 30 says that, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. By this we see that the door opens to the dark night. We should see this as both literal and symbolic. Night represents the antithesis of Jesus, who is light. Antirite again describes this, um, describes describes it this way. In the middle of the picture, we have Jesus flanked by love and betrayal. Perhaps it is always like this. Um, Perhaps um, they always go together in this life, the joy and agony the intimacy and the knife in the back. Maybe Jesus's openness to the one meant that he was bound to be open to the other as well. 
Maybe it is like that for us too. If and when it is, there is a strange comfort um, to be had um, from Jesus' words to, 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 to Judas. Do it quickly, he said. He knew the agony that awaited him. Jesus knew the agony that awaited him and he didn't want it to last any longer. As in chapter 12, verse 27, so here in chapter 13, verse 21, Jesus is troubled in spirit. There is no shame in spirit trouble. It's what you get when you are a foot washer, when you are a generous love person, open to deep friendship and to the serious wounds that only come from friends. But John, in describing the entry um, of Satan in Judas, knows that even the satanic purpose is held firmly within overarching purpose of love and of liberation. The light will go on shining in the darkness and darkness will not overcome it. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Perhaps you're at a place where you are on a journey and you need the Lord to give you a word. You need assurance from Jesus. And if that's you, we're going to get to minister to you in a moment. But perhaps you are the person that has just experienced betrayal or have experienced betrayal over the years from people that are close to you, from people that you trusted, from people that you honored, that you served, from people that you loved, from people that you showed humility to by, you know, perhaps washing their feet like Jesus did with the disciples. Perhaps you find yourself still dealing with the pain and the wounds of betrayal from close friends or a close friend. We're going to have an opportunity as well for you this morning to minister to you. My prayer is that you would allow, you would open up those wounds and allow the Lord to minister to you. Whether you need to hear a word from him and you're facing a very challenging season or going through a dark journey and you need a word from him, may you receive that this morning. Or perhaps you are needing to receive healing so that you're released from the anger, the bitterness, and the, um, and the sadness that has come from being betrayed by a close one. Again, we want to minister to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.